Tech Fan Podcast number 359. I am Tim Robertson. I am David Cohen. Hey, David. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Feeling relaxed. Just got back from vacation. Vacations are always nice. I think yeah. you've had 50 vacations to my none. <laughs> it does seem like that, I know. No, it doesn't seem like it. It is that way. <laughs> I, I have yet to have a vacation. The closest I came was a weekend vacation to Traverse City, um, Two weeks a year ago. Right. That was we, I, I actually get in trouble if I don't use my vacation time. We we have laws and stuff here, you know. Well, they don't care about American workers here, so. I know. know yeah. You're actually rewarded if you don't take vacations here. Which it's, is stupid. It's, it's frowned upon if you actually use all your vacation. They're like, ugh, he's on vacation again? He's been here 10 years. He only gets three weeks vacation. He keeps using them all. So I get... Uh, twenty. Uh, currently, I, I've got some time in service, so I've got some extra days. But I think I get twenty-eight. <laughs> I got a month plus the bank holidays. We, I, I think I I have to bank some days back for between Christmas and New Year. But the rest of the bank holidays, we also get off um, on top of our vacation time. Uh, yeah, we get some of those. I think there's five yeah. a year, and that's yeah. it. We have more, I think. Yeah. Still, yeah. you know, that's... Mer- uh, America's number one, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's making you great again. We're, yeah, again. Because <laughs> we were great at one point. Yeah. Especially, you know, I think like the 50s. Well, except for, if, you know, you were black or Hispanic or a woman or, you know. Other than that, it was awesome. Yeah. In and other words, like if poor, you were a white guy. Uh, yeah, also being poor in the 50s. You know, the middle class rose in the 50s, but not everybody was middle class, so... no. Hmm. But you know, if yeah. it, it, we got to get back to the greatness. <laughs> Let's not get too political now. Uh, I think I'm going to start a movement. It's going to be instead of great, it's going to be grape nuts. Make America grape nuts again. I remember kind of my there. dad. My dad used to love grape nuts. I never ate them. It's like eating gravel. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> oh goodness, that's still in my throat. There. I did not feel good. So, anything new in the tech world? You were talking about the uh, Surface last week. Did you get one? Well, I've ordered one. The thing is, they don't come out here until about three weeks after you guys get one. So, I've been looking at the reviews to figure out whether I should continue with my order or cancel it. But most of the reviews I've read seem to be pretty positive. Um, The ones that are less so are focused on looking at it just as a pure own tablet and and i think i've said before windows 10 just as a tablet is not a great experience but if you want if you want a cheap but reasonably well performing um small laptop then i think the service surface go is is a very reasonable solution we'll find uh, out so the proof will be in the pudding when you get one and start using it and report in and let us know if it's yeah, worth it or i've been i've been watching reddit pretty closely because obviously you normally get people who um actually Early have them, rather, rather than yeah rather than just reviewers uh you get people who actually pay their own money for them so um yeah most people seem to be pretty happy with it so we'll see how it goes it's interesting i'll say that yeah i'm quite looking forward to it Put let's, that let's jump into some uh information now david you provided all the notes uh, I let's, did. let's start with this one because you put in the notes that you're in, of two minds on this so apple mm is killing off the iTunes affiliate program. And when we say that, we mean um, 
websites that link to an app and they get a piece of the revenue. And yeah. it's stuff like, and you know, to, to bring it more personal, um, Touch Arcade, for instance. We both love the Touch Arcade. Uh, it's a free site for anybody to browse, find the best apps of the week, updates. I mean, they provide really good content. Yeah. And uh, a huge chunk of the revenue came from people clicking from their site over into Apple's to buy the app. Now, I know for a fact that their revenue went down when Apple killed off browsing iOS or buying iOS apps on the Mac, which I still think is one of the dumbest moves. Yeah. Um, I, I, I buy or download one one hundredth of the apps that I used to. Uh, simply because it's so much easier to browse the app store on a computer than on a phone. I also think the redesign for the iOS app store is terrible. I, it, it actually made it harder to find stuff. Uh, it made it very easy for Apple to push the stuff that they seem to like right in your face, but to find other content, it, it's terrible. Um, and the search is still broken on there. Yeah, completely um, broken. And in fact, it's now worse than it used to be because they're putting sponsored ads in first, uh, yep. and all the guys buying ads are gaming the system to get unrelated apps to pop up when you do a search. So it's we both agree that the iOS app store is still a mess. In some respects, maybe even worse so. Yep. But I like the affiliate program because... It's, t- it's it's places like the Touch Arcade that helped make the Mac Store what it is and continue to do so. It was a way for people to discover um, things to do with your iOS device. And they provided an invaluable service to Apple. And all they got, initially they got 7%. Uh, over a year ago, Apple knocked that down from 7% to 2.5% commissions. Remember, folks, this is the most valuable company in the world. This is not... This is not a, a company hurting that they need that 2%. But Apple just goes and kills the program now. Uh, they decide, you know what? We just want to make all the money. We don't care about our sponsor or our partners out there that are helping us, that are helping the developers. Um, no, they're, they're not getting a dime of the resources at this point. Uh, I think it's despicable. I think it's mean-spirited. And this is why when people ask me about Apple... Why do you support Apple? I don't support Apple. I support the ecosystem uh, of users. That's what I support. I support the end user. And I do like some of the people at Apple. Um, But as a corporation, no, I don't support Apple. Are you kidding me? They're a giant. They're the first company to have a trillion dollar valuation. Think about that. It's unreal. And yet the same week they say that Apple is now the most valuable company on the history in the history of the world. They're killing this little 2% commission that they were giving to their affiliate program. It's despicable. It's mean spirited and shame on Apple. Quite frankly, shame on them. That's how yeah, I feel. I, I understand. And that was my initial reaction as well. Um, having said that, um, and I agree with the majority of the sentiments there. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm less thinking it's despicable and, and just less uh, more that it's mean-spirited. Um, I, I don't know how much money we're talking about. Nobody really knows that. But um, you're right to – I think we're all right to assume that in the grand scheme of things, it's not a huge amount of money compared to what Apple earns. 
Um, the flip side of that, of course, is they are a business. They've just released their financial results. It's become clear that um, their levels of growth in hardware are not everything that they could be, particularly in, in areas where they've misstepped, like with the Mac. And yet services revenue is on the up. And this sounds to me like somebody decided that it was a way to optimize financial income from services revenue. Um, I, the, where I disagree with you is that is that I don't think Apple sees uh, websites like Touch Arcade as partners. I don't, of course I really, they don't. I, I, don't, I don't think they see them like that at all. I think no. they see them as, as somebody who capitalizes on the ecosystem, but they don't. Uh, I don't think they establish a, a, pr- a really good, close relationship with them, and I think that's a mistake. I think Apple could have handled this much better. Even they were going to do this by communicating with those people on a partnership basis, rather than just sending them the usual form letter, which they do, saying, "Oh, by the way, this is going away." But uh, the, on the other side of it, I think sites like I, I read through the blog post where Touch Arcade talked about this. And it became clear that they uh, have relied on this revenue. And I think that is a, a mistake, particularly a year ago when they cut the uh, the affiliate uh, program level from 7 to 2, 2.5%. I think they should have seen the writing on the wall then. And I think it's very dangerous in today's web economy for any site to rely on income that's controlled by the financial interests of a third party. And they've got a diversify. I, they talk about how they've tried to, and it hasn't been particularly successful. I'm a Patreon subscriber for Touch Arcade. Um, I don't think they've capitalized on that enough. Um, they've done a couple of things. I think they're, they're currently promoting Amazon affiliate links as well, which doesn't really fit with their brand, but hey, whatever. Um, but we're talking about two different things. Which I'm, well, I, I'm I, saying I think, that this was a rotten thing to do. On yeah. Apple's part, and you're saying, "Yeah, but Touch Arcade should not have relied on." No, them. I'm saying, I'm saying you've got to recognise that corporations often do rotten things because they're not beholden to anybody except themselves. I agree, and, but and, that still and I'm saying change. that I'm saying that in this circumstance, they you you've got to recognise the relationship you have with Apple. I think part of the problem is that a lot of Apple websites have this... We talk about community, yep. but there isn't really... There is a community among us, right, that's but the what relationship between the, this community and Apple is an arm's-length one. They're, oh, they're, like a, they're like a... Most of the time, like a, a benevolent deity in yep. that we accept what they give us, but we don't really have an opportunity, you know. We, you, just like with a deity, you can pray to a deity and hope that you get a response, but there's no guarantee. Apple is exactly like that, and I think in those there is circumstances, a guarantee, by the way, it's, they're not going to answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. But just in just that in is that the sense, guarantee. That's, well, I, the, the nothing's is, going I, to come out of your as, prayers. As, as, as humans, we around. interpret we interpret what happens after we pray. As you know, if we decide it works in our favor, we we interpret that as as the deity answering us. Right, um, and if it doesn't, and, well, there's and a if grand it doesn't, scheme. you know, we say we didn't get. Yeah, exactly. But that, yeah. let's let's not get into um, theology here. But I, I, the point I'm trying to make is that. Um, just in the same way that if you are a farmer and you pray for rain, yeah, you've got to have a contingency plan. If the rain doesn't come one day, or the rain stops, or you go into a drought. You've got to you've got to expect that rather than expect the rain to come every year just because you pray. And I think the problem is, as I know, it's so difficult to make money on the web. But the the difficulty is is that they became too reliant on something they thought would always be there. 
and it now it's not there and they've got an issue it, it would be fabulous if apple said you know what i recognize these sites are valuable to us i recognize they serve us um so therefore we will yeah, on, a, on a case-by-case basis come up with affiliate programs for individual sites but they've decided not to do that in fact they're doubling down on doing it themselves they they hired serenity cordwell recently from imore uh, as an internal journalist she's clearly going to be doing app related stuff for them yep. so i think apple pr is pulling this stuff internally and because then they control the message does that mean that we get as, as good good an experience as we get from sites like touch arcade and um polygon and other gaming sites that cover ios of course we won't get as good at good a uh, a service so, how can you but, this but, but apple, apple doesn't see itself as responsible for financially propping up those websites uh true they don't uh but they do see the benefit from those websites and that's where i have an issue Apple clearly benefited from the Touch Arcade. No question about it. Yeah. When the Touch Arcade would make something their game of the week, it exploded on the App Store, and Apple made 30% of each one of those sales. Um, so Apple was clearly benefiting. It, w- it wasn't just a one-way uh, relationship. And so what Apple is doing now is saying, you know what? W- we just want all the money. We, d- we well, don't want to share with this. This We can just do it ourselves. and. And, yeah, we've benefited in the past, and they're a very small uh, three-, four-man operation. You know what? Screw those guys. And screw every other website that's that's linking to our stuff. We don't care about them. We don't really care about their users that are using that site to get information. Screw all those people. We want money, money, money. It's just for us. Screw everyone else. That's what Apple is. They're a greedy corporation, just like any other corporation that's that's big. Um, I think it's it's despicable. It's It's despicable. It's a tough one without statistics because uh, – well, even with statistics, it's a tough one because presumably if if Apple – if Touch Arcade, as an example, is not driving much traffic to um, to Apple's website, you know, maybe the affiliate links aren't making as much money as we think they are. And, you know, it's such a drop in the ocean that it's not worth Apple continuing the scheme. Um, however, if it, if it is so small – then you could then kind why? of say, you're so rich, Apple, why did, couldn't you just continue the scheme right. you know, and subsidize those sites? I, I, we'll never know what the internal thinking behind this is. The problem for Apple, and this is something that keeps on biting them in the backside over and over again, the last three, four years now, is the right. optics of this look bad. It again looks like Apple doing something that harms their customers, ultimately, um, for the interests of, of something that they should not be able that, that they should be able to afford to do, and and that that is a bad look. And you know they continue to have bad looks. They have continuous areas where they don't appear to be doing the right thing, or if they are doing the right thing, they're doing it very slowly. And also as well, their whole product line um, in in areas that aren't the iPhone is starting to look very very jaded and i think it's really starting to hurt them now and we're seeing that in the in the results so it'd be interesting to see what this does what this does to in the long term to app store uh, growth and and margin and uh, services revenue and see whether it really has an effect or not i don't think it will unfortunately um i wish it did so apple could feel yeah. the the consequences of their immoral decisions but yeah it's not going to make any difference to apple they don't they don't really care all i'd say yeah 
All I'd say is in light of this, if any of our listeners out there, if you like any of these sites, whether it be Touch Arcade or anybody else who you know uses affiliate links, they have links on their site to stuff in the iOS app store, then go and give us, if you want that site to remain, you've got to go and give them a few a few dollars. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a fortune, but you you know, give them a dollar a month. I'm sure if enough people do that, that's more than enough to cover the cost of some of these sites because it doesn't cost a lot to run a website, but you do have to have a certain amount of income to cover uh, keeping the site up and to at least give some money towards the people who work on it. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that the richest company in the world has decided to screw over a lot of websites. We're not talking about just the Touch Arcade here. A lot of websites uh, were linking to Apple content, not just iOS, but the music and the movies. And I, I, I don't see the benefit to Apple on a PR basis, but I don't think they really care. Uh, I really wish it was a another company I could get behind in their product so I can replace my desktops and my phones with something else that was better. Um, I don't know if that'll ever happen. I'm tired of supporting Apple. I've seen um, them screw over people, not just from afar, but from a partnership standpoint. You remember I was, uh, I worked for an Apple specialist. Yeah. And I saw their actions and their callousness and, you know, these were companies that Apple went out of their way to crush and to demean and to get rid of. But these were the companies that, without any hyperbole, helped Apple stay afloat in their darkest hour. These were their yeah. biggest supporters and partners. And once Apple got successful, they crushed them. Mm. And I saw firsthand what Apple was doing. I talked to people at Apple. I heard their reasoning and it was mean spirited. Was it good business? Well, maybe they're the most valuable company in the world, but I don't think precluding these partners that they had would have diminished that. Yeah. The issue that Apple faces is that by upsetting people like this, yeah, it means that if they ever need them again, they're not going to be there. No, and they're not. Yeah. And that's exactly right. And that's yeah. why I said, I wish there was another company yeah. I can get behind because yeah. I'm not going to, if Apple falls on hard times, I'm not going to be the evangelist that I was back in the, no. in the mid nineties. I'm not going to do it. They've, they've shown that a, they don't want that kind of, um, help even when they need it. And B, they have no respect for their most loyal customers because if they did, you wouldn't have the situation with the Macs right now that are years out of date, almost across the entire line, you wouldn't have affiliate programs going away uh, like this. I don't, I don't understand why anybody would be a fan of this company. Don't be a fan of Apple. Don't be a fan of Microsoft. Don't be a fan of Google. Be a fan of the community that uses those products that help each other out. Come to MacStock next year and you can see what I'm a fan of the community, not the corporation. Yep. And it, it's, it's a sad time and it I, I'm not going to defend this company any longer. Uh, I think they're on par with, um, the rest of the giant corporations that are only in it for money. 
There is no moral fiber at the center of Apple any more than there is Google or Facebook. There, it's just money, 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 um, taking advantage of uh, practically slave labor in third co- in other countries, um, hiding money from for tax reasons in other countries, screwing over countries that you have partnerships with. Ireland, hello. Um, I'm not a fan of the company anymore. No, I agree with you. I think um, it's very much more a commercially minded operation than it ever was now. And yep. I think that's coming through. And you, know, you can trace a lot of these problems back to, to that, that ethos. It's very clear the balance sheet is much more important. You know, originally Apple started building up this huge hoard of cash because they were worried about what, you know, Steve was worried about what happened last time, about the fact that it nearly went to the wall. So, you know, building up the cash bank is basically saying we've got enough money that we never need to, we never need to worry about that again. Um, But the problem is, is that, you know, now they are making so much money and it's, it's clear that many of these decisions are financially driven. The, the refusal to update products for years and years, uh, and, and and let's let's understand that. That means basically continue to sell your customer products that you know are outdated at a premium uh, for, price. At a premium price, yeah, is is a financial issue. It's all about how can we maintain overall margin. Yep. I think there's you know there's a lot of focus on maintaining how things look to Wall Street and maintaining the share price and maintaining the growth levels and all the things that any other corporate does. Um, but yes, you're right. We've always, we've always traded on Apple being a little bit different, and um, nowadays they're not. No, we got to stop doing that. we got to stop putting Apple on some kind of a pedestal. Um, innovation, true innovation, is long dead at Apple. They're not doing that anymore. They're just building new stores and selling us outdated, antiquated hardware. Um, their corporate leadership is only concerned about dollars, uh, they used to pretend that they had a moral fiber in the company that they would support. Oh, let's just say social um, arguments. Yeah, and they don't anymore. They they still give it lip service, but they really don't. Um, it, it, it I, you know, right now everyone's posting on social media. Oh, remember this when a, a magazine said the death of an icon, and it was Apple logo. No, we're at the death of an icon now. Uh, Apple is no longer an icon. They're just a yet another money-grabbing company that doesn't even give back to their shareholders the way they should. It's it's sad. Yeah, I I really can't disagree. I mean, it, it you know I we've all seen a lot of Apple bashing over the years, but a lot of the criticism now is quite legitimate. Um, you really can't. And, and this, this whole business with the licensing with the laptops is, again, it's, it's, it looks bad. Whatever the reasons for it, it looks bad. This business where the keyboards have been failing and after three years they started, they, they announced a, um, uh, a, reserve, a repair program for the keyboards. Then they come up with new laptops that have a different keyboard design. And they say, oh no, it's nothing to do with, with the problems, with the reliability problems. Except everyone finds out that it absolutely is to do with the reliability problems. Yeah, and I understand there are probably legal reasons why, but you know what? There are ways of saying things which which wouldn't get you in trouble in court that would make everybody aware of what really was going on. 
you know, and they've they've had this design for three years. It was universally, uh, well, it was it it, uh, it was u- pretty much universally accept- accepted as a, a downgrade on the keyboards right yes. from the start. Yeah, they were fixing a problem that nobody had, and at the same time they trashed keyboard reliability. And hey, after three years now, they've they've fixed it. On, and remember, these are not three the, years. Non- None of these new computers with the touch bars are cheap. They are horrendously expensive compared to the old laptops. Really, really expensive. Um, and so, yeah, it's like having a, a BMW with a with a service fault. Mm-hmm. And they said, don't worry, if it, if it breaks, we'll fix it. Um, but we won't fix it with the new part. We'll just put back the old part that you know is going to break again yep. in there. But if you buy a new one... Well, well, we, we're not going to admit to you that it's fixed there, but in fact, you might find that you don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, it's, but at least in the auto industry, they have, uh, you know, oversight that if there is an issue like that, there's a thing called a recall, and yeah. it can be forced on them. Well, at least under previous administrations in the U.S., it wouldn't happen now. Yeah, it wouldn't happen now. Um, no. Um, in fact, it, they would be rewarded for it now. Um, but in the space that Ac- Apple occupies, doesn't. There's no consequences for Apple. People yeah. continue to give them. And before anybody starts saying, oh, now you're an Apple basher, uh, you just don't get it. Yeah, I do get it. I probably get it better than most people listening to this show because guess what? I've been covering Apple since 1995. So there's some listeners to the show that it wasn't alive when I was covering Apple. Yeah. So I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And... They're they have the ugly part now. Uh, well, I can't support a company on an emotional level that that acts this way. Now, financially, I don't like Android. I think it's I, I, I don't like it at all. I've yet to find an Android phone that felt right to me. The iPhone still feels right. So yes, Apple still gets my money because there isn't a viable competition. That's why I said earlier I wish there was another company that would come out with products. I don't like Windows 10 as much as I like the Mac. I don't think it's as intuitive. I don't think it's as risk-free to use. Yeah. Um, and but yet, you know, I'm still I'm still going to buy a Mac if my iMac died tomorrow. Now, would I buy a new one to support Apple? No, I'd still buy a new no. from from our sponsor OWC. But yeah, that's well. This is the issue, isn't it? The problem for Apple is that in the computing line, that you know, it's never been closer than it is now. No. Nope. You can buy good quality laptops for less money. Windows 10 is not as far away from OS 10 as it used to be. No, it's yeah, not. Is it, is it perfect? No, absolutely not. But you know what? It's quite usable for a lot of people. Yep. Um, you know, um, most of the, so a lot of the differentiators you used to have aren't there anymore. Right. Because Apple used to do software you couldn't get on the PC. That's not like that now. Most people don't use Final Cut anymore. Because they can use better, you know, you use better products, and then it runs on PC or Mac. Yep. You know, it's... it's. Uh, Do you remember the good old days when Apple owned the creative, but they completely destroyed that? Yeah. I, yeah, I, they've, I don't they've allowed... a lot of the decisions. I guess it's... I, I guess you and I are just naive, David. When a company is just about the money, this is what you get. Yeah. And a lot of companies aren't just about the money, you know? There's a lot of companies that do a lot of good for their community, but guess what? They're not trillion-dollar companies. They're a company that makes $20 million a year, and they give to charity. Um, they take care of their employees. Yeah. You know, they, They're very active in their community. Those are the companies you should support I, and be I, fans I of. Think, 
I think Apple, you know, for all they do about uh, the financial bottom line and everything, and and the share price, and I know there are share options and share dividends when there never used to be, I think they need to take some of that trillion dollars and actually formally invest it in their product line. Not just in the day-to-day business, but actually say, we're going to take, I don't know, whatever the number is, a billion dollars. Uh, and we're going to invest in the product line. We're going to accelerate everything we're doing. We're going to address problems. We're going to go back and fix products that have long-standing problems. They really, you know, you know, something that says that says to the, their um, customers, you know, what we're different than the other corporates. We care because otherwise, what will happen is one day the iPhone won't be the stellar performer it is today. And and if they're not careful, all their other product lines will be withered away at the same time. Yeah, I'm going to start holding my breath now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We do want to thank our sponsor, OWC. Uh, This is a company that actually does give back. This is a company that if you have a problem with, the owner of the company, the president of the company, actually the CEO of the company, will actually email you. I mean, this this is the kind of company you should be a fan of, not a giant one that sells antiquated stuff. Uh, here's a company that's innovating in a space that's increasingly getting more and more difficult to be a, a differentiator and to innovate. And of course, for us, um, it, right now it's about Thunderbolt. That's how you're going to get more ports on your machine. So some people may wonder, David, what's the difference between Thunderbolt like two and Thunderbolt three? Because there does seem to be some kind of confusion. Remember, Thunderbolt three uses the same plug that USB 3 does. It's the same plug. So yeah, you can USB-C plug in... USB-C plug. USB-C, sorry, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same port, which is a good thing. Uh, Thunderbolt 2 can transfer data files up to about 20 gigabytes per second, or gigabits per second, which is extremely fast. Thunderbolt 3, 40 gigabits per second. So double the speed. So if you're on a more recent machine and you have Thunderbolt 3, get a Thunderbolt 3 external device because it's going to be a lot faster, a lot faster. And, of course, I kind of know a company that sells those products, David. Yep. (laughs) So make sure you check out OWC. If you need uh, anything to do with Thunderbolt, that's where you want to go. They've got a ton of Thunderbolt external drives, everything from... The uh, portable Envoy Pro Mini, uh, the Thunderblade, which we talked about, which is ungodly fast. Um, you can even get, uh, you know, the great big raids. So they've got you covered no matter what your storage needs are. David, you've got a really fun story that is inspiring, just the opposite of what we've been talking about. And I, this I is an eye doctor who could not see the stars. So this is about. Um uh, a doctor in Africa who was um, wanted to improve the uh, level of optical health care that uh, people who live outside of the cities uh, in Africa can get. Um, and, um, you know, this, this, uh, this chap himself, you know, when he was a young boy, could not see the stars. Um, and um, when he was 12, he was... He was his, his mother had him had his eyes tested uh, and he had he had his eye problems fixed and now he's an eye doctor himself and he's trying to give back um, and he said he couldn't believe what a difference having decent glasses 
were. But the, the problem is, if you live in rural Africa, you just can't get access to that sort of stuff. Right. You know, so he he started touring um, touring Kenya, trying to do uh, mobile clinics, but he just found that the equipment was too expensive it was uh, too hard to transport it well, there wasn't enough electricity but you know he, he what he did realize is one thing africa's got going for it is great mobile coverage uh, and most people have smartphones yep. uh, and, and and in africa because of the of the particular geography uh, the the smartphone has been well the, the the regular phone before it but then the smartphone has been massively adopted and made a, yep. a huge change to people and even people who yeah don't have regular electricity or running water will often have access to a phone if they don't have one themselves so he's developed um a system that allows you to do very simple eye testing on a, as a smartphone app and and people can now they can now send it out they're sending it out to teachers um so it can be done as part of the classroom exercises uh and it allows kids who need eyesight work you know need glasses or something like that to, to be get diagnosed yeah to get and not only that as well because the problem is if you think about it if you live in rural Botswana yeah and the, the to travel to the nearest clinic let alone a proper doctor's office or a hospital might involve two days Exactly. And that's two, that, that's two days when you're not at home, you're not working, you're not looking after your family. Um, and let's face it, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, making sure the kids kids have been fed and tucked up at night. I'm talking about literally uh, allowing Feeding. them to live because that's yes. how people live in rural communities in Africa. Yeah, that's a big commitment. So what this app also does is it allows people to demonstrate using the tests and stuff on the phone, what the eyesight problem is, and so get parents to realise that they actually have to do... It's worth investing the time and travel to actually get treatment for their children. Yeah, it shows what your child actually sees. Exactly. And, the, and forgive the pun, that's eye-opening. Exactly, yeah, because it, it <laughs> proves... That was a really bad pun. Yeah, it proves to, the, uh, proves to the parents it's worth investing in this. Yes, uh, and it will also then start texting the parents to, to encourage them to, to go and have the vision tests and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think I, this is this is an, an inspiring use of technology, the re- a real way of seeing technology directly change people's lives in some of the poorest parts of the world. Um, and we, you know, we we take vision for granted. Uh, but there's so much you can't do, particularly if you live in a rural community. Where you can't you learn ha- correctly if you yeah, have – you just can't. Look, in, in a developed country, yes. But in a country or in a, a nation or in a continent like Africa, it's a huge problem. It's a huge hindrance to proper education. And not and, only that, that this is these are communities where – you you are relied on to not only get educated but also to be able to work, and yes. it's di- very difficult to work if you can't see what you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, it is kind of an issue. So you want a hero? You you want someone to admire? There you go. Yeah, this is um, so. Yeah, I I I wanted to put in there because we spend a lot of time bashing things on this show, uh, and I wanted to. to it's inspiring. Uh, I think I think we I'm going to make more of an effort to try and find. Uh, this sort of story going forward, you know, ways of technology that uh, that really change things for people. Doctor, I'm going to butcher his last name. Uh, Doctor Andrew Bastawaros, Bastawaros, yep. Bastawaros. I don't know. Andrew. 
Andrew, Dr. Dr. Andrew. Andrew. Yes. We're going to put a link to this story at both MyMac.com and TechFanPodcast.com so you can actually go and read it. Please do so. Read this story. Share it on social media. This is the kind of thing that you should be promoting and celebrating. Um, You're talking about making a country great again. This is the sort of thing that, that does that, it. Not, yeah, exactly. uh, not tax breaks for the rich and lying about Russia. So the last thing you've got on here is... Volkswagen and the yeah. whole diesel gate thing. So, so I, 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 my take on this, because basically this was a story on Ars Technica saying that, you know, the deadline is coming up for people to, in, in the U.S., uh, because they, the U.S. is the only country where this has been allowed, um, people can claim a, a basically a buyback or compensation for if they have a, a diesel Volkswagen that um, was was. Uh, tested rigged. using those those rigged software, yep. which uh, you know, and I'm not going to bash Volkswagen for this. Everybody knows the story. Everyone knows that Volkswagen was wrong. Uh, it's since turned out they're by no means the only company doing this, and um, it does appear to be almost an industry wide problem. But it is what it is. Um, but uh, f- first of all, I wanted to. Um, Remind our listeners, if you have a, a two-litre diesel car from Volkswagen or Audi and you haven't claimed to get either compensation or alternatives mm-hmm. to let them buy back, uh, please do so because the deadline is, is approaching. Uh, and uh, I think, uh, yes, one month, and this, this story was published the 1st of August. So by the end of this month, you need to have made that claim. But the second thing, is, is uh, which I wanted to discuss with you, um, on this story is so they have now have lots full of these bought back vehicles. What happens I've to them it. then? I've seen it. I've yeah. when I was training on the new uh, Toyota Camry up yeah. in uh, Pontiac, uh, the Detroit Lions used to play in the stadium called the Pontiac Silverdome. And and by the way, if you want to see what I'm talking about, do a Google search for a video and you'll see this. Yeah. Um, the Pontiac Silverdome is now getting destroyed, but when I was up there, uh, not even, well, about a year ago, we drove on our course under the new Camry right by the Silverdome. And I saw, this is, uh, the Silverdome is a massive structure. Yeah. But even larger than the Silverdome itself is the parking lot. It's massive. Uh, for those who live in small communities or small countries, you might not even uh, comprehend the size that I'm speaking about. It's it's gigantic. It's It's huge. It's completely full of these buyback Volkswagens. So what are they going to do with them? 355,000 vehicles so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and now these these vehicles could be repaired because Volkswagen apparently has a fix that, that undoes whatever they did to the software. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with these cars. And yet I've got a horrible feeling they're going to end up being crushed. I don't. You don't? No. So I wanted your insight because obviously you work in the car industry. So I wondered what you thought might happen to these cars. Um, They're not supposed to be resold. That was the agreement. Right. What's going to happen is they're all going to get shipped to other countries like India, China, um, and they're going to get resold. Right. That's what's going to happen. Volkswagen has proven they can't really be trusted when it comes to stuff like this. And, you know, 
the, that's what's going to happen, David. They're, they're going to resell these cars to other uh, I don't, nations. I, I actually don't have a problem them reselling them because I do I'd when rob- they say they're not going to, and that was the agreement, and then they break that uh, agreement. Well, that's what I have. A okay, with. so uh, I, presumably when they signed that agreement, that was not resell them in the U.S. No, it was not resell them at all. Right. Well, in that, if, that, if they've agreed not to do that, and they are going to do that, then then that is wrong again. I agree. Um, but, but I having also said, have a problem, and I know where you're going. I have a yeah. problem with them destroying perfectly fine automobiles and creating even more waste. Three hundred fifty-five thousand cars being crushed um, and destroyed. Yeah. Now we do have a good recycling program. These cars will be made into Volkswagens again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or tennis shoes or what have you, but it's a colossal um, eco- ecological disaster to destroy all these vehicles yeah, when they can I be have, repurposed. I have to wonder how how you would do the um, the trade off between figuring out what the balance is between the emissions that these cars would have emit, continued to emit with the faulty software had they remained on the road versus the carbon price of getting rid of them all. Uh, bearing in mind that they already represent a fairly big carbon investment in terms of the energy required to manufacture them, ship them and sell them in the first place. Yep. Uh, which is better for the environment? Is it better for the environment to get them off the road but end up crushing them or to leave them on the road and put up with the fact that they give NOx emissions that are much higher than they should do? Well, it's a... Hmm. It, how long are the cars going to be on the road? I, it's a number that you can't really quantify. I guess you could say, well, the average car's life of this diesel Volkswagen is 15 years on the road. Well, how long have they been on the road already? So you'd have to go through averages. I would imagine that it probably would cost more uh, to the environment anyways to destroy all these vehicles than yeah. just to repurpose them. Or, heaven forbid, fix the problem. They're not going to do that. Uh, fixing, by the way... Is there a fix? Yes. It's a software fix. That doesn't fix the emissions problem. It just makes it so they can't cheat on tests anymore. So it really doesn't fix the problem. Well, doesn't it, no- doesn't it Doesn't it? basically um, undo the performance increases they built into the engine to allow it to perform outside of the testing range? Doesn't it make sure I've that... I've it's, it's yes and no on some cars. Right. So I, but, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I don't have the answer to this. I would yeah. like to think that... If Volkswagen really was going to be um, charitable, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> they, they would take these cars that they've bought back instead of reselling them and recouping their money. Because the whole point was you have to buy – this is your punishment for lying. Per, yeah. And and let's say – I will say I've dealt with customers who's gone through this mm-hmm. firsthand. A lot of these people will never buy a Volkswagen again because uh, well, got, they feel yeah. like they were lied to. We, I've, um, we're in a position where Leanne's looking at replacing her car over the next year or so, and we basically we do not even bother considering anything from the uh, Volkswagen Group. So yeah. that means that means Audi, Volkswagen, uh, Skoda, which is a Czech brand that they own here, Seat, which is a Spanish brand that they own here, uh, and these are all very well received and very well rated cars. We're not going to look at any of them, not yeah. even for petrol, because we don't trust the company. You know, we would rather put our money behind a company who has not been caught doing this. So, <laughs> and notice um, I phrased that very carefully. Yes. <laughs> caught. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, there's the issue right there for a lot of people. 
I think Volkswagen would save some face, not with everybody, but with some, if they took these vehicles and they donated them to those countries that really could use these for nothing, for free donation, work with local charities to get these vehicles into the hands of the impoverished. That would be awesome. Will they do that? Hell no. Of course they won't do that. But that would be, that would be my solution. If I was in charge of Volkswagen, look, we already took a huge loss, right? The PR has been a nightmare. You couldn't buy the positive PR if you did something like this. So putting aside the agreement they've signed saying they won't resell them, if somebody... Well, this wouldn't be reselling. Uh, yeah, no, but putting that... that I'm, I'm going to pose a scenario to you. Okay. All right, putting, putting that agreement aside, if they were uh, allowed to apply a software fix to them, maybe something else, and then resell them, uh, obviously at a massive discount, would you buy one of these? No, never. No. But Not the, just because you? I sell Toyotas, but putting that aside, no, I wouldn't buy. Because, I, like you, I don't trust Volkswagen at this point. Right, so you wouldn't trust them to do the right thing and, and make no, it right. absolutely properly. not. Yeah. But I, I bet there's also plenty of uh, not well-off people in the States who would quite happily buy one. Oh, no, they're in not just the States anywhere. Because here's yeah. the thing, as big as, as big as a story as this is, and that you, you and I know a lot about it, the average American knows nothing about this. Nothing. And so they yep. would happily buy these vehicles. Yeah. So, and the there same thing in the UK, uh, definitely they would sell like hotcakes in Germany. I mean, it's home base. Yeah. Um, well, they, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, they wouldn't sell in the UK because obviously they're uh, drive their steering wheels are on the wrong side of the road. Right. But still. <laughs> so uh, we w- we wouldn't take them here. But you know, the interesting thing is here in the EU. Uh, Volkswagen has they've been compelled to try and fix this problem but they haven't been they haven't been offered a we haven't been offered a buyback scheme or a, tr- uh, a trader scheme or anything basically compensatory they've just been told they've got to fix it I've had uh, stories told to me by customers whose there's two classes there's the ones that Volkswagen says they're going to fix and it doesn't qualify for the vo- uh, the buyback program and then there of course there's the buyback program uh, I've had two customers who went to uh, their dealership that they got it from, and they were told that theirs doesn't qualify for the buyback program, even though they got communications from Volkswagen that it did, that they have to apply the fix. And the dealership said, you know, that that's what they're going to do. So they fixed it. And then, of course, the dealership was wrong. Now these people are out twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 that they could have yeah. got back. Do you think they're happy? No, but buy anything I, from that dealership or Volkswagen? I, well, yeah, I, I'm, you know, not to cast too many aspersions, Tim, but I, much like, much like a doctor, uh, I would all go, always go for a second opinion when it comes to stuff like that. I would agree. Not, not, I'm not talking about buying new cars, but when I'm talking about servicing and things like that, I often will ring two dealerships and ask the same question because it's amazing how often. The, t- Two different dealership service guys will give you two different answers. Some of that, of course, is going to be the education level of the person and the experience of the person you're dealing with. Others, you, you, in any business, you're going to deal with shady people. Yeah. 
Let's talk about uh, our wiki trolling. So, so we're back to our wiki trolling, folks. It's been a month, but this isn't something God, we put on like, the back burner and not going to yeah. do anymore. Dave and I like it. It gives different topics, different fun stuff. We've had this one for a couple weeks now that we never got to. But you know what? This wiki trolling is like it's like slipping on a comfortable pair of old slippers. There you go. Instant <laughs> film. You pick this one. Instant film. I did. You know what? Because this, to me, I I I remember what instant film was like back in the day. Oh. And and you forget, it's very easy for us to forget, you know, before the smartphone. I, I, mean, I was away on vacation this last week. I took hundreds of photos and quite a few videos. Yeah. And I could, I could sit and process and mess with them in the evenings. And, you know, I'm already halfway to kind of putting together, and we had some people with us, so I wanted to put together an album on their trip. And I've, I'm already halfway there, um, with just like an hour or two's work. You forget how impossible that was oh, back yeah. in the day. You know, and also cameras only took 24 or 36 shots before you had to change a film. And then basically you had no idea what was on, how good those pictures were, whether you got the shot, um, you know, whether you're a good photographer or not. And there was nothing more disappointing than taking what you thought would be some nice photos, particularly on vacation, stuff like that. And then when you get them the map from the processors, fine, then they're not good enough. Um, and so instant film was a big deal. Anytime you went to a party, uh, anything like that, you would always hope somebody was there with a Polaroid camera because you could take a photo and see it straight away within reason um and and bearing in mind how early this came out i I really think it was quite amazing um as a technology because the ability to effectively create a film that develops itself instantly it it was magic in a chemical i mean it's a fully chemical process yeah (laughs) is it yeah it's like magic i mean it it is it is i think nowadays is probably underestimated what a feat it was to pull that off um and it was reliable as well it wasn't like when you took an, a, a Polaroid photo, oh, it might not come out, it might come out. They always came out. If there was anything wrong with them, it was you as the photographer. It wasn't anything to do with the process. The height of instant pictures, instant film, was, I'm going to say, the, the mid to 70s to the mid 80s. Yeah. Uh, that was the height. I remember being seven years old and having my aunt dar take pictures and putting the it just comes out of the camera it's all white or was it all black i think it was all i can't remember how they came it, out it depend it depended which version you had the original ones i remember they came out in a packet and you had to uh leave it developing and then you peeled something off the top of the right packet no that's not the photo. one i'm talking about these yeah, were they would come out the picture itself i think they were yeah. I think they were white, white yes. and then, and then they then would, would gradually kind of fill in. Exactly, and she'd put that, them on those, the table. That's right. Sit those, there and watching. Yeah, and, and that was almost part of the part of the fun of the process yeah. is watching. Is it done? Them develop. I think it's yeah. done. No, wait, it yeah. got a little darker. It's not done yet. Or yeah. we'd all do the same thing. We'd pick them up, and I'm sure it had absolutely no bearing on the chemical <laughs> process. We'd pick them up, we'd I'll blow wave. on them, and then we'd <laughs> wave them like we're doing anything. It did nothing. But yeah, we all, we all thought they that. were drying, didn't we? Yeah, we like they're wet. Don't touch <laughs> it; it's wet. We gotta we'll wave it back and forth. Um, yeah, we all did. It's funny. Doesn't matter what country you were in. You're in. You're way over there. I'm way over here, and we did the same yeah. thing. Um, uh-huh. It was magic. It really was magic. If you want to see 
and look, it wasn't great quality. And I will put a scanned copy of a Polaroid. You're going to see a picture of a little kid kind of with his thumbs pointing to uh, an older guy. The little kid is me. Yeah. So I'm going to use that as our shown picture for this. No one's going to know what that is until they get to this point. That little kid, that little blonde-haired boy, that was me. And I was pointing at my Uncle Ken, who sadly passed away about a year ago. Um, that was an instant photo that my grandmother or that my Aunt Dar took Christmas, and I believe it's 1977. So, wow, that was a long time ago. Um, yeah. 40 years ago, 41 years ago. But yet... It was a magical thing. I think pictures that were taken, because they were, look, it, this was expensive, especially for the 70s and 80s. That was an expensive yeah. camera, expensive film. You had to take a picture that was worth taking. We willy-nilly just take photos of everything. Who cares? Picture, 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 picture. Yeah. And if they're no good, eh, you just delete it. But you probably don't. You probably keep all the photos. Who cares? doesn't take any yeah. physical space. No biggie. Back then, ugh. Remember when you would go and get your uh, 35 millimeter or 110 photos developed at the store where you, wherever you got them in and you'd sit there and look through them and hope they all came out. And of course they never all came out. There'd always be one where someone's thumbs in the way or someone blinked or it's a little blurry, a little overexposed. You'd always be bummed out. It it was different then. It was. By the way, it's better now. <laughs> let's let's not let's not conflate uh, our nostalgia with where it was better. It I totally think, wasn't I, better. I think I think the the thing about a Polaroid was that um, you know one of these instant uh, pictures they had kind of a quality about them. Yes, um, that was is an aesthetic that came from the process and everything. Yes, they were lower resolution. Yes, they were a funny format. Yes, they always the. <laughs> I, I, I never tried this, but for some reason, nobody ever cut the photo out, even though it was kind of uh, in, the, in the top half of a, of a white square, and there was always like a big bar at the white at the bottom. Right. I never uh, – maybe, maybe you couldn't do it. Maybe that ruined the photo. But I never understood why um, people would just stick the whole thing up, and they would never, like, cut the photo bit cut out. Cut the white part around. You know. Yeah. yeah no you one know, ever I, did that. You're right. No one did. So, so maybe, maybe by, by – um, by breaking, you know, by cutting through the the whole photo, it destroyed it in some way. I don't know. And they also faded over time as well. Um, yes, which is but, why I scanned a whole bunch of old Polaroids yeah, that I found from yeah. family members because they're not going to exist in twenty years. Yeah, but they they had an aesthetic that was kind of pleasing, um, and uh, and maybe it was to do with the fact that you knew that whoever taken the Polaroid had invested time in getting the people together for the photo and. Um, and appreciated the fact that they were able to see it straight away. Now, Polaroid started to be killed in the mid-80s by the fact that um, very quick photo processing, one-hour photo processing, started to become far more popular and, and cheaper. Uh, and certainly by um, the, the, the beginning of the digital area, I mean, Polaroid had become pretty rare because you could run off a, a, a shot of 35mm film and, and have it back in pretty short order. Um, so unless you really needed that instant feedback there and then, and the cameras got better as well, so I think that the 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 need to see the photo straight away dropped away because the cameras are more reliable at taking better pictures yes. uh, automatically, uh, and then of course digital kind of 
kind of did for it. What I find interesting is you can still buy Instamatic cameras. You can. Fuji does um, a range called the Instax. That well, basically it, came, it became popular again for like three months. Everybody yeah. was taking them, and but they were much smaller photos too. Yeah. But you can still, and they, they, they come in two sizes now. And the cameras are obviously much more modern and smaller. But you, these, these Instax cameras, sometimes you, when you look at them, you think, oh, it's got some sort of digital printer in there. No, it's using a, a variation of the Polaroid film in there. Um, so uh, if you kind of are, are into that, that they, I think nowadays they're aimed at kids because they yep. do, you know, do much smaller credit card size prints. And the idea is like kids play around with them without necessarily having digital photos. And of course, the advantage of not having digital photos for kids is they can't email them or post them up online or <laughs> do any other inappropriate thing with them. So, uh, so I just yeah. shared that photo with you in our chat. Did you see it? I'm just going to look now. So I was right. Oh, yeah. um, Christmas yeah. Day, December 25th, 1977. And, and you see what? I just like the aesthetic. It just, you know... It, the colors it had, are a little off. Yeah. You know, it's... But it kind of has a warmth to it because more, of the colors exactly. are off. Yeah. yeah. It's got a fuzziness, but not uh, an out-of-focus fuzziness. Yeah. It's not, it's not photorealistic. This isn't, no. you know... It, it, it's a pretty bad photo if you yeah. tried to recreate... If you took this photo with your iPhone, you'd think something was wrong with your iPhone. <laughs> Um, well, of course, as well, you know, it, every single Polaroid photo had a massive flash blur because they uh, they always fired the flash when you took yes. a picture. Uh, and so particularly inside. So the, the pictures always had that kind of blown out over over warmed look. But but yeah, but it's, it's a nice aesthetic. It makes me feel nostalgic just looking at this photo. And yeah, I, it was well, it was the 70s. Yeah. And even just color correcting it in Photoshop. Actually, it loses something. So you see the original, David. Mm-hmm. Um, here is the. Well, oh, come on. Here, yeah, here it comes. Here's the Photoshop corrected. All I did was run a color correction on it, and I think it loses something. Yeah, it does. It does. doesn't it? Yeah. I don't. I don't know why, but it absolutely it loses something in correcting the deficiencies of the photo. It it, it loses some of the warmth. It loses some of. I don't know. Whatever made that photo that photo, it's not there now. Yeah, that's all right. It, it's no, it's considerably less attractive. Yeah, uh, and but I'm it's not, more photorealistic. I mean, yeah, that was the I'm, color of the the wall. I mean, yeah, but maybe it, it's something it to do with something. the maybe it's something to do with the the environment these photos were taken in back then because <laughs> there was a lot of browns and beiges back then. Yes. Uh, and maybe those come out better on Polaroid than uh, <laughs> than uh, than something that's been color corrected. I don't know. I don't know if if you could yeah. go back in time with a, an iPhone 10 or an iPhone 8 Plus, a really good camera, and take a whole bunch of photos. I don't think it would feel like the 1970s. No, it just wouldn't. Yeah. So I think our our perception of that decade, as every other decade, like when we think of the 80s, we think of neon bright colors, and it was no more colorful than what in the world right now in fact my son Cole literally thought everything was black and white <laughs> for a long time I finally well all the pictures are black and white yeah well we didn't invent color right? it just the cameras took photos and it couldn't display color so um, yeah interesting so we're going to wrap up this episode good topic by the way David really liked it if you guys want to read more about instant film from Polaroid we do have a link in the show notes uh, Tech Fan Podcast 
number 359 at both mymac.com and techfanpodcast.com. Uh, make sure you send us some feedback. We'd really like to hear from you guys. The show at techfanpodcast.com. I did get an email from Nemo saying he really enjoyed my um, on-the-spot interview with my daughter Rachel and her boyfriend Michael uh, at MacStock from, uh, what, two weeks ago? Or is that mm-hmm. like, No, two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so appreciate the kind words, John. I did share your uh, thoughts with Rachel. She enjoyed hearing that. And uh, we really do want your feedback. The show at techmanpodcast.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Or you can just leave a comment on social media or on either of the websites. Anything else before we wrap, David? No, I think that'll do it for, for me for this week. See you next week. See you then. Thank you.